All right, good evening, everyone. Make your way in. Good to see you all tonight for this final night of our Voices of Genu series. Uh, I've enjoyed this series. I, whenever we decided to do it, it's one of those things that uh, we didn't quite know what to expect. Really, we've never done this before, and we've never seen it done before. And uh, looking back on it, based on the feedback from you all on social media and just people, you know, sending me text messages and notes to Pastor Phil and whatever, it seems like this was something that, that we've really enjoyed. Um, and, and enjoyed in the sense that it's been meaningful, I think. Uh, it's one thing to hear, you know, and for those of you, it's your first night, I'm looking around, I'm like, every night I see new people. Apparently, probably because people are inviting their friends to come hear them talk, or people are like, hey, you should come to this thing that they're doing. Um, kind of the ground rules were, except for one of the people, uh, none of them are trained preachers. So don't expect a, a, a proper sermon. What we want you to get is like the heart. And so that's what we told all the people. Just come from the heart. And that will be enough. Don't feel like you have to get up there and preach a sermon. In fact, don't get up there and just feel like you have to. Don't do that. Just come from the heart. And so uh, the people have been doing that, and we've been, we've been hearing, um, I think, the, the voice of their life and, in some sense, the voice of God coming through their life. So, and that's coming through all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Uh, before we jump into tonight's uh, two sermons, so there will be two sermons tonight. There'll be a sermon, and then I'll sit down with that person, and we'll unpack it more. And uh, I don't know what they're going to preach on. And uh, some of the times I wonder if they know what they're going to preach on. Um, I'm only teasing. They've all got up here and done just a remarkable job. But I seriously don't have a clue what either of these people tonight are going to say. I don't know their Bible verse. I don't know their topic. And the only criteria was share what's on your heart, what God's doing in your life. So before we get into that, two announcements. The first is uh, Angel Tree in the back. That's where you get a list of gifts that a young person uh, who might not otherwise have um, anything under the tree necessarily or much, um, that people have identified these uh, individuals that, that we can step up and uh, purchase some Christmas gifts for them. And you're like, man, I'm... It, it's all I can do to purchase, you know, gifts for the kids that I've got, right? So you might uh, persuade three or four of your friends to go in with you, and everybody just do a little bit. Uh, but we have 11 of those left, so they're sitting back there. We had 12 at the beginning of the night, and now we have 11. So if by the end of the night we could get that done, and really we need to get that done, because Sunday is the last day to bring in those gifts. So... Uh, not to guilt anybody into anything, but there are 11 kids back there <laughs> that are counting on somebody. So uh, there's your sign, right? Um, the second thing is the Christmas dinner is going to be this coming Wednesday night, uh, a week from the night. So make sure you buy your tickets for that. The meal is going to be outstanding. I won't give you the menu because you'll just be thinking about it all night long, but it does include prime rib and bacon-wrapped asparagus. And I've heard some amazing gumbo made by a guy whose last name is Shai San. Can you say Cajun cooking? All right, that's going to be good. And uh, it's going to be super. So Phil's going to be grilling and doing whatever it is that Phil does to make things magic. And that's going to be yummy. All right, two speakers tonight. The second one is Kristen Beaujolais. She's going to be coming in a bit. But the first one is Ed Lewis. And I don't even want to introduce Ed because you know Ed. The thing I love about Ed is he, he's going to bring wisdom, but I don't have a clue what he's going to say. But I trust 
because I know him to be a man of God, that it's going to be worth hearing. And I've always had the utmost respect for Ed is because he will say the hard things and he will say things to you that you're like, I never viewed it that way before. And I hope that you'll catch the heart of Ed Lewis and the voice of God through him tonight. Would you welcome him to bring the word? Hi. I told Tommy, you know, it's, he, he said, uh, who was it, John the Baptist, yeah. and who was the other one? I don't remember. Anyway, I, anyway, it doesn't make any difference now, he killed the joke. Um, <laughs> so it's Tommy's fault. Uh, I'd like to say I appreciate Tommy asking me, but I'm not that big a liar. I did not want to do this. I still don't want to do this. And uh, I told him I would pray about it, and I did and uh, kept trying to figure out what I was going to talk about. And I kept having conversations with God. I really don't have anything to say that's interesting. And he says, do it. And I'm like, no. I said, I don't. And he said, do it. And I'm like, well, if I do, though, Tommy's going to come up here and ask me that 20 questions game. And I don't want to do that. And then when he comes up and he says, just talk about what God's dealing with you on. And that's like, identifying a drop of water that's coming out of a fire hose. So anyway, this is some of the stuff that, uh, that I've been dealing with and having been the adventure that I'm going through. How many of y'all have a junk drawer at the house? You know, the stuff that, it, I can't use it right now, but I'm going to put it in there because I know that we're going to need it. Well, that's kind of, I've got a cranial junk drawer. And when he said that, I just went in there and I started flipping around ideas and things. I'm like, oh, that's good, but no, nah, no, nah, God, God said, no, not that. Well, what about this? No, no, no. Well, on Facebook, sometimes I put out ponderables. And uh, just something that makes me think and hopefully makes others think. And sometimes people think, oh, that's pretty deep, ponderables. Well, just give you an idea, one morning I woke up and the ponderable I had is, why did they call it purple? And I have no idea what I was talking about or what I was thinking. So these are some ponderables that I had. Um, in the beginning, in Genesis, God created everything you can see and can't see. He created the, the smallest, small aquatic creature up to the huge Leviathans that Noah or that uh, Job spoke about. Whoa, fall over. Uh, he created the land animals from the smallest insects and no seams and things like that to the huge, you know, dinosaurs and stuff. He created it all. And he said, it's good. And then he came up on the sixth day and he created a man and a woman. And then he kind of stepped back. And I can see the God of the Trinity sitting there going, oh, that's good. That is real good. And so here we have a perfect man, a perfect woman, and they're living in the garden. And everything is great. Until the snake shows up. And they sin. And they're taken out of the garden. And an angel is put over the entryway so they can never get back in. And then Adam and Eve, it says, had Cain and then Abel. And they had a lot of other children, but those were the two that are named. And I 
sanctified imagination. There's a lot of sanctified imagination in what I'm telling you tonight. So sometimes I'll say it and sometimes I won't. But I'm thinking they didn't move far off from the garden. And they could see it. And when their children were born, I think they could see that. And they're like, Dad, what's that? Mom, what's that? And I'm going to talk about dads because I can identify with them. And I'm sure he says, well, son, and then he tells him the story of what happened. And then later on, they're taught to, to worship God by sacrificing creatures, animals, clean animals. And they did or the, to sacrifice the Lord. Well, anyway, for some reason or another, we're not sure, at least I'm not sure, somebody may know, Cain's uh, sacrifice wasn't as, the Lord didn't appreciate it as much as he did Abel's. And that really ticked uh, Cain off. And so one day he goes out, and they're out walking and talking, and the scriptures say that Cain hit him with a rock. Now, I've been hit with a rock, and I know other people have been hit with a rock. It's usually not one rock will kill you. I mean, even David put a stone in the middle of Goliath's head and still had to go over and take his head off with a sword. So you know he had to sit there and hit him again and again and again and again. And the bloodlust coming up until finally he's through. And then he drops it and he hides the body. And he thinks he's all good and clear. And then all of a sudden, God is there. And he asks him. He confronts him. Cain gets scared and he leaves and he runs off. And as a father, I can just imagine how Adam, he sits there. He's lost two sons. One has killed the other one. And I'm wondering, at that moment, did he really realize what the repercussions in the, in the garden were about when he took that apple bite? When he sat there and he took that and God said, as, soon, as surely as you do, you will die. He didn't understand what death was, but he had it real close, uphand and up front and personal right now because a son is dead and another one has gone away. And I'm just thinking, he, he looked back and he goes, if only I hadn't. If only I hadn't. And then we get to Noah later in Genesis. In Genesis, uh, excuse me, Noah had three sons that we know about. But the man lived to be 900 and something years old. He was 600 when, uh, when uh, the floods came. So up until then, I mean, he had the, the other three by the time he was 150. I just did some rough calcs. He could have had like four or 500 kids. By the time that this goes, you know, by the time all this happened. But he only mentions these three, their wives, him and his wife that got on the boat. And then they get in the ark. And as the, all the animals and everything are coming on the, ship, on the boat and everything, I wonder, you know, he's, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that he's, he's still talking to these people. Come on, come on, come on. God's sending this. And they're like, nah, nah. Now, we're not talking about somebody that you don't know from Abe's off ox. We're talking about relatives. We're talking about kinfolks. We're talking about aunts, uncles, sons, daughters, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, possibly. These are people he knows. And he knows what's going to happen if God's word, who he believes is true, comes about. And it does. And as they're sitting there and the last of the animals are coming on board, I wonder what he thought. As, he, as, the, as the Lord shuts the door with a loud thump. And they sit in there, him, his wife, his three sons, their daughters. And they just sit there for seven days. 
Could they hear the noise of the people outside, maybe laughing at them, shouting, and then the waters burst forth? Did he sit there and he go, was there anything else I could have told him? Was there anything else I could have done? Was there anything? The questions that were asked and not asked, the looks. Well, you know, what about, you know, they start mentioning everybody. And I just wonder, what were his thoughts and those of his family? Well, his thoughts. Now we go to page two. If I can get there. And then this, the prodigal son. Not going to be long on this one. We don't know much about him. But as a dad, when one son decides he wants to leave, and he does. And the father sat there and talks about it. I'll give you a warning now. When I start talking, if you're at my retirement party, you know where I'm going. Um, when I start talking about sons and family, um, it can get emotional for me. So all I can say is deal with it. Um, Anyway, the prodigal son, when the son left, the father didn't know if he'd ever see the kid again. Would he stay away? Would he be killed? Would he be kidnapped and made, you know, a slave somewhere? What happened to him? What happened to him? Years go by. Years go by. It takes a while for him to spend all this money that he supposedly had. And then one day when he's eating pigs and, uh, you know, fighting the pigs for the slop and everything, He's, he decides it's better to go back home. And I can imagine the elation of the father when that happened. That his son, who was lost, was coming home. Now, I've got, I got a last what I got. I have three sons. And um, I can tell you, as a dad, if you've got kids right now, you're a young parent, your concern never gets over. You never get over it. When they get in trouble, you feel it. But uh, anyway, I've got three boys. And uh, when each of my sons were born, and then collectively after all of them was born, I found this prayer, and I prayed it over each one of them. Lord, build me a son who will be strong enough to know when he is weak and brave enough to face himself when he is afraid. One who will be proud and unbending and honest defeat and humble and gentle in victory. Build me a son, Lord, whose wishes will not take the place of deeds. A son who will know you and that to know himself is the foundational stone of knowledge. Lead him, I pray, not in the path of ease and comfort, but under the stress and spur of difficulties and challenges. Here, let him learn to stand up in the storm. Here, let him learn compassion for those who fail. Build me a son, Lord, whose heart will be clear, whose goal will be high, a son who will master himself before he seeks to master other men, one who will reach into the future yet never forget the past. And after all these things are his, add, I pray, enough of a sense of humor 
so that he may also that he may always be serious, but never make him take himself too seriously. Give him humility so that he may always remember the simplicity of true greatness, the open mind of true wisdom, and the weakness of true strength. Then, Lord, make me a father worthy of such men. Currently, none of my sons are, work, are walking with the Lord. My oldest one gives lip service. My middle son is... We'll make it polite. He's mad at God. And my youngest is indifferent. Now, in the past, whenever they'd get into a rough situation or whatever, um, I would try and do all I could to help them. I mean, I would, I would do whatever. Sherry would do whatever. And then one day... The Lord reminded me of a story of, a, of an event that happened when I was a little kid on the north side of Fort Worth. A friend of mine and I, we weren't supposed to go out across Jacksboro Highway, which was the main drag at that time, but there was, always, there was a, uh, an African-American man that uh, would come around with a brace of mules and a plow and he would clear everybody's lot. He'd plow up little garden patches but he had a big patch down on the other side of Jacksboro. And so we'd go out and we'd trail along and watch him work his mules and everything. And it's like, wow, this is really neat, you know. And then uh, one day, the other kid and myself, we snuck across the Jacksboro Highway. Uh, Mom would have, or Dad would have known that. I wouldn't be here today. But we did, and we went over to, his, to this old man's place. And we were sitting there talking to him. And what he's doing, he's making shoes for his mule. And uh, what he does is he takes that shoe and he sticks it in the fire and he gets that fire real hot. And then he takes it out and he puts it on an anvil and then he beats it with a hammer. He beats it and he beats it and he sticks it back in the fire and he gets it hot again and he beats it and he beats it and he sticks it back in the fire. Then he sticks it in the water, tries it on. If it doesn't fit, he brings it back out, sticks it in the fire and repeats until it finally fits. And the Lord showed me that day, he said, this is what I'm doing to your sons. I'm putting them in the fire. And then I'm taking them out and I'm beating on them to conform them into the image of your son, of my son. He said, when you get in the way of the hammer and the shoe, he says, you take the beating. And I, it takes longer to change them if I can change them at all. So now what I try and do, not always successful, but now whenever they're in a situation I try and evaluate, are they in the fire that God's got them heating up? Are they on the anvil where he's trying to pound them into the image of his son? Or is he trying to cool them down a little bit to see if they're fit yet? And it kind of makes me kind of step back a little bit. Hopefully that's working because right now my middle, middle son's in an adventure that I wouldn't wish on anybody. Um, but all of that brought me to what I call my shower song. And uh, I'd invite you all over to the shower, but uh, y'all wouldn't fit in the bathroom and I don't think it'd be pleasant for anybody. And uh, I'm not gonna sing it because I've heard myself on stage sing before. But I did write it as a poem. And uh, it, in the arms of my savior is where I long to be. He is the one who died and now lives for me. He is the lion, he is the lamb, 
the Ancient of Days, and the Great I Am. And He loves me. Yes, He loves me. Jesus loves me. Yes, He does. He takes my sin and casts it in the sea and promises to never hold it against me. And He loves me. Yes, He loves me. Jesus loves me. Yes, He does. He holds the things that are precious in my life. My sons, their families, and most of all, my wife. He holds them close till the end of time. And he loves them more, even though I think they're mine. And he loves me. Yes, he loves me. Jesus loves me. Yes, he does. And that's the hope. He loves my kids. He loves their family. And he does hold them dear. And that's why I'm hoping for the prodigal son adventure. So, anyway, that's it. Tommy Asimov. Now, I pray and we do the 20 question game, right? It's up to you. Is it? <laughs> anyway, Father, we just, we just thank you for this evening. Lord, um, we can all identify with the dads, but it applies to daughters as well as for sons. Let us just see how you're working in our kids' lives and be able to, uh, you know, react accordingly, whether to stand back or to step in and help. We praise you for what you're doing in all of our lives. And uh, in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. John, would you grab that microphone or else And um, if you all would be thinking about questions you might have for Ed or comments, thoughts, uh, something that he said that meant something to you or you just want to ask him what, what he thinks about something, that's okay too. So, no, it's not. It's not okay. Um, I, I, wanted, uh, I wanted to ask the prodigal, have you ever been that son? Yeah. It's going to yeah. be a short interview. <laughs> oh, you, well, you'd ask me if I had, and yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. Okay. Um, when uh, I left Fort Worth, uh, I was um, grounded my, from halfway through my freshman year of high school through the last six weeks of high school, my senior year. Um, Dad just thought it was appropriate that anybody did 120 and a 60, 60 and a 30 and ran two stop signs with a cop after him was not worthy to be out on his own. Uh, and I can't say I would blame him, but when I went down to Auburn, um, there was, uh, it was like, I'm away from mom, dad, God, ain't nobody see me down here. I can do what I bloody well please, and I did. And uh, then I uh, left Auburn, went in the Navy, and that attitude pretty much prevailed. Um, and then uh, all the way through tech until uh, one day I'm sitting in a bathtub in Lubbock, Texas, and I'm stoned. I'd finished a big project. We'd been up solid straight, ex 
very little, if any, sleep over the entire week. This may be more than you ask, but you're getting it. Um, and uh, I brought a television in there, and I'm sitting in the bathtub, or lying in the bathtub, nice hot water on a cold Lubbock night. And uh, like I said, I was, I was stoned. And I'm watching the TV that I've got set on the commode. And uh, it, I, I was raised in church, and I knew a lot about you know, different things. Um, and as I'm sitting there, as I'm watching, uh, the movie that I was watching was over. Couldn't tell you what the name of it was. And then the late great planet Earth came on, and it just talked about, are you interested in the end times? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's ought to be pretty cool. And then it says, yes, now we're going to learn about what the Bible says about it. And I'm like, oh, no, we're not. And I started to get up out of that tub, and I swear I'm about maybe three, four inches from the turning the knob. And I remember I heard my mom while she's standing in the tub, in the back, not the tub, in the bathroom, saying, you know, if you touch something electrical, when you're wet, you'll electrocute yourself and die. I look around, I swear, there was nothing I could dry myself. There wasn't any toilet paper. There was nothing I could dry myself on. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm, I go, okay, I will, I will sit through this. I will, I, okay, I, will, I can go through this. But it caught my attention. And at the end of it, I was stone cold. I was not stoned anymore. And it was in, the, in that tub that I accepted the Lord. And, uh, you know, a lot of people... I look at it like he was marinating me in the tub because it was just, um, it was, you know, and, and I was expecting, you know, some great, you know, everything will be great, but it, they didn't promise that. But it did, my life started, you know, it's like, uh, it wasn't a speedboat turn. Speedboats can turn on a dime. This is more like a tanker, that if you've got a bridge embankment down the way, you better start turning about a mile off or you're going to hit it. And that's kind of what my life was. The Lord slowly turned me around until um, uh, he got me where he, I'm not always heading that way, but he's got me headed more in that direction. That's really good. There was, it was sometimes in the, in the Bible they put headings above things. Um, so the Bible didn't have chapters and didn't have verses. These were letters, stories that were written down. And, for example, you have, like, the Lord's Prayer. Well, Jesus didn't say to the disciples, Hey, guys, I'm about to teach you something. Somebody write this down. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Say it with me, our Father. It, you could actually call it the Disciples' Prayer. It, it, it might be a better term to call it the Disciples' Prayer because he taught them how to pray, right? It wasn't necessarily even his prayer. He's like, when you pray, pray like this. The prodigal son is one of those ones that the word itself, and Tim Keller, a pastor, wrote about this. The word prodigal it just means wasteful, lavish, just effusive. You're just over the, you're just open-handed. Well, the son was prodigal whenever he was out just spending his money on you know, women and wine and gambling or whatever. But the father was also prodigal. Because when the son comes home, I mean, he's, he's just over the top. Have you ever thought about that aspect of, of the father's? The, like the kid probably picked up somewhere how to go over the top. What do you think about that? 
if anything. I haven't. I mean, I've, I've looked at it from the from the father's point of view of yes. your son coming back, but I hadn't taken it much further than that because I wouldn't. Uh, sorry. I guess what I'm. Leave me in a question. No. Nope. <laughs> nope. Your love for your sons is is just as over the top as it they can go however far they can go and do whatever they can do and yet your love goes even further than that i think and that's what i pick up as you're talking and and god's love for me goes way further than my love for anything good or bad you know and i i i don't have many questions for you because your message just it hits me as a father and as a father who worries about his daughter and his son, you know, it's good to know that that isn't going to go away. But um, what do you, th when you look back over the last 10 years of your life, how would you say that your walk with the Lord has evolved in one way or another over the last 10 years? I look, and you hear me use the word adventures a lot. And because that's the way I look at life. If you read anything like, you know, Tolkien's trilogy or anything like that, that long story, and that's kind of how I look at my life. I mean, sometimes I've got victory. Sometimes it's just trudging. Sometimes it's, it's rough. Sometimes it's like just overwhelmed. You feel like you've been, you know, fortunately you get ransomed, but you feel like you've been kidnapped. Um, the um, that's about as good as I can I can tell you because it it's a lot of you know stuff happens that's unexpected um, and it's and you gotta try and comprehend it quickly or comprehend it at all if you can. Um, I want to if you don't want to answer this question maybe you'll answer it for me later. And I don't mean this, if it's too personal, just be like, hey, stupid, just back off. Hey, stupid, back off. Okay. <laughs> Next question. You, you have this, I'll call it a gift. You have this gift of being able to see things or to hear things and to be like, here's what I feel like the Lord is saying. Like even, even, even to a body of believers. Has that always been, what's that like? Talk to me about that. And if you don't want to talk to me about that, that's fine. I know that's a very personal thing, but it reminds me of some things I see in Scripture through the Lord will speak to somebody to get a message through to somebody. Okay, best way I can answer this is I don't know. Um, I look at... I, I really, when I was growing up, I admired Ted Williams. I didn't like the Red Sox, but I admired Ted Williams. He was the best swing, uh, you know, hitter that I've ever seen. But he couldn't coach anybody how to do it. It just happened. It had somebody, you know, who had to work to, to learn how to hit, to teach somebody how to hit. Um, I, maybe it's because I overthink everything. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know, Tom. I mean, I can't, I can't tell somebody how to do it because I don't know how I'd, I, and I, I think can, everybody can do what I can do. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know Ed, he'll, 
he'll often come to a pastor or somebody and say, here's, I can remember way back in the day when, you know, we still thought it was a good idea to have Sunday night church. Um, I'm only half kidding. That I can remember you would, you would share something. I'd be like, man, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And you didn't know that's exactly what I needed to hear. But you would hear it or see it. I'm just curious how that works. And I know you probably can't teach anybody to do it because the moment you try to just be you giving a formula for a mystery. Yeah. Um, I think part of it is just being open. I know, uh, I know that I don't know. Um, it's probably the beginning of it. You sense something mm -hmm. and then uh, music, mm -hmm. music really stirs up mm -hmm. uh, the spirit. But a lot of people, I think more people than would be willing to admit have that. Yeah. They just don't have, I mean, I know a lady that comes up to me and goes, oh, this is what the Lord showed me. And I was like, go tell Phil or Tommy. Yeah. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. Yeah. It's not something you teach somebody how to do. It might be something you cultivate in people and, and coach in, in that weird kind of a sense. But I'm curious what gives you, what frustrates you and what gives you hope about the church, Big C Church? Commercialization. Which one? Commercialization. That frustrates you? That, that frustrates me. Um, you know, I, I've been through uh, a series uh, on Thursday nights uh, facilitating uh, from the Genesis, um, Answers in Genesis. And um, in one of the deals, I don't know if I've gotten to it yet, but um, Ken Ham was talking. He says that, <clears throat> excuse me, when Peter's, uh, I keep spitting into this, sorry. Um, when Peter spoke at Pentecost, he was speaking to Greeks, or excuse me, to Ger uh, Germans. He didn't speak to Germans. <laughs> to Jews. It's one of those J words. Um, but, uh, we're very deep here, let's keep it solemn. Um, when he was speaking to the Jews, they knew Genesis, and that's something that frustrates me. We don't teach Genesis. We teach a wimpy Genesis, and this is, this is something coming from straight hand, Ken Ham that I have to agree with. We don't teach Genesis, we teach a story. Today, people hear a story and they think it's a myth. We teach that the six days of creation, or seven days on the one that the Lord rested, that could have been millions and billions of years, and yet the data doesn't support it. But that's what the schools teach, that's what Disney teaches, that's what everybody teaches, but we don't teach it in the church. And because of that, it's like, well, you know, all of that in Genesis, early Genesis, that's, that's just a, that's a story, that's a myth. But up here with Jesus, this you gotta believe. Well, if you don't believe the seven days and plus the fall, then you don't need Jesus. There was death before the fall, or before creation of man. So you mentioned the other day, you know, whether, you know, I believe, I mean, I haven't done the data, I'm just going on data that I've read, that the earth is like 6,000 years old, roughly 6,000 years old, could be a little older than that. But it's a, it's a young earth, and that um, we, don't, we, don't, we don't get into Genesis enough and teach it as 
fact. What did I say in particular? Did I say it was 6,000 years old? You said uh, some people believe it's a young earth, some believe it, and it wasn't oh, a slander. Yeah, in oh, one yeah, of your yeah, sermons, yeah. You, you gave the two, and I, there wasn't a shot at you. No, no, no. Don't no, no. I'm wrong. I understand where I you're coming from because most of the church believes that. I mean, I have a book at the house, or had a book at the house called Theistic Evolution, where uh, it was put out at the Bible uh, Baptist Seminary in Fort Worth. And I'm like, here you've got one of the most fundamental congregations and churches teaching the theistic evolution. It, it, it so there, the, yeah, and I remember what I said. Like, don't get defensive. I mean, seriously, it was a good, it's a good sermon. <laughs> no, here's here's where I here's where I go, and we can. Here's how I look at it. There, I think there's room for people who would have a really old view of the earth to be able to approach the scripture and to view these stories as true, even if they don't view them as chronologically or as historically. I think they can still understand the truth of the story without necessarily agreeing on the timeline with another person. I don't think it was Moses's job to sit on a cloud with a stopwatch. Right. I think what there's room, there's room for somebody to take a diverse viewpoint about the age of creation and still arrive at a belief that I'm not saying that. Yeah, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that you have to believe in right. Jesus and a young earth to be saved. Yes. Right. But we can talk later and I can show you some stuff. That would be fun. <laughs> and it's funny because I've written down here and I've made this note. It's funny you should mention that. You might wonder if there was a talking snake. You might wonder about the ark. You might wonder in the same sense about the prodigal son. It's true whether or not you believe it's historically accurate because the truth is in there, whether or not you think that there was a literal talking snake. The fact of the matter is there's evil in the world that seduces us. So there's room for you whether or not you agree on the specifics. And I just want to say that. There's room for you, whether or not you agree on the specifics. I'm not telling you what I think about that. I'm telling you there's room, there's room for you to go on a faith journey. And you may not come to the same conclusion as Ed or me or anybody else, but there's room for you. And I think there's grace in that. So that may come across as a little bit liberal, but I'm not giving my viewpoint. I'm saying there's room for you as well. And I, I felt the need to say that for some reason tonight, because there may be one or two people who are like, I, I'm not so sure about the talking snake. Okay, that's fine. Are you sure about the fact that you sometimes have thoughts that lead you in destinations that you don't want to be? Okay, then the talking snake story speaks to you, whether or not you think there was a talking snake. There's room for you, room for you. Balaam's ass. There was a talking donkey. That's right. The moral of that story is don't kick your donkey. Um, Ed, I'm, I'm blown away, man. And I'm, I always am, and I'm glad you did this. So um, thank you. Thanks for this. Any questions for Ed before he goes tonight? Well, there it is. All right. Amen. Love you, bro. Thank you for saying yes. I asked all the people to preach, and Ed was the only one who came back to me and said, you know, I'm going to have to pray about that. And I thought, I'm glad you did. Uh, Kristen, go ahead and make your way on up. There she is. All right.
Come on up here. I'm, uh, well, I ended this one the way I wanted to. I ended this one with Kristen. I, I, I just want to get right into the interview, but I don't, I'm not going to. Um, she said, I have your note, I have her note. So can I tell them the story really quick? Yes. Is that okay? She, she texted me about an hour ago. She said, I have timed this four different times and it's at 25 minutes. And I had told him, I said, you know, try and keep it about 15. She said, what do I do? I said, throw your notes away. She's like, what? Throw, throw your notes away. Funny thing is her dad had told her the same thing earlier today. So she walked up to me earlier and she said, she had like five pages. She said, oh, there's six. She said, she said, I jotted down just a couple of things that I want to make sure. And I do that when I preach. I jotted down just a couple of things, but uh, here's my notes. That takes guts. And I would say the journey and the message of Kristen's life is, is just guts. And I'm excited to hear you bring the word of the Lord to us. Amen? Okay. Um, well, you weren't kidding. This is not scary at all. Yeah. Um, sorry, y'all. I'm, I'm starting this out with a bang, I tell you. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. Tommy called me um, when he was putting all this together, and it was one morning. I was going to meet Elsie and some other ladies for coffee, and he's like, hey, we want you to preach on Wednesday, December 11th. And I was, I, my initial reaction, I laughed, like, out loud. And I said, I'm sorry. I could have sworn that you just asked me to preach. And he's like, I, I did. Why? Um, what do you want me to preach on? You know? And he said, no, you have to figure that out. I was like, no, no, no. Um, so he, you know, just as everybody else has said, it's supposed to be what's on your heart, what God's been doing. 2019, God has, there, it's been quite the journey over the last five years. Um, but 2019 has been very significant. And if y'all hear my voice shake, it's because this is, this is, this is scary. Okay. <laughs> and it's emotional. So, and I so don't want to cry. Um. 2019 has been a very significant year for myself personally, but for, you know, for me and my husband and our family. Um, we got married in 2005, <clears throat> and two, God has showed up in big ways in our marriage. Um, early on, uh, he showed his face in two very miraculous ways. I'm talking miraculous healings that literally there's no explanation other than God. Um, 2008, I was pregnant with our first son and uh, late second trimester, they found amniotic bands um, on the ultrasound. If you're not familiar with them, I'm gonna spare the long story, but they're literally these bands that develop inside of the sac with the baby and the baby can get tangled in them. Um, 70% of the time they go away, but most of the time from what I was told, you have to have surgery or they, they pose a, a threat to the baby. Appendages, they get tangled in them and in some of the more severe cases, they can die. And so we were high risk, we had to go to Pensacola. Um, we had people all over this church praying over ultrasound, <laughs> ultrasound pictures. 
um, my husband every night would lay his hands on my belly and he would pray and he just kept saying, baby, there's a reason for this. God is good. He's not going to fail us. And every night he would pray for me, put his hands over my belly. One day we're in Pensacola. I'm like, here we go. Let's see what, because they were, we had developed some new, more than what was on the original scan. And so I was, of course, I'm the pessimist. And I was like, how many more are we going to find? Not a single trace of any of them. Fast forward to 2010, it's a Thursday, it's a pre-op um, appointment for us because that, the next Monday I was going in for surgery for a removal of my left ovary. Um, I had a baseball-sized cyst that had killed it. My right one, they figured they were gonna remove that too because it was almost dead and I had a tangerine-sized cyst in that one. And quote unquote, it looked like a bomb had gone off in me. So my doctor that Thursday said, um, don't be surprised if we have to do a hysterectomy. I'm 26. We wanted more children. We just didn't know when. And again, outside the hospital, he's holding my face. And he's saying, baby, he prays for me. He said, God's got this. And he said, no matter what the outcome is going to be, whether we have children naturally again or not, he said, I'm going to love you. And God has a reason for this. I tell you that. Um, there's a quote that I found the goodness of God is infinitely more wonderful than we will ever be able to comprehend. That, that quote that I found was more beautiful to me um, because um, my life, my marriage, we are, we are, a, test, we are a testament to that quote. Because there was a time when I took God's goodness for granted, even though he had shown up big in our lives, I took it for granted. And I put, I, he became the genie of the lamp for me. I rubbed that lamp when I needed something. Other than that, my genie stayed tucked away. And five years ago, I found myself taking advantage of that, and I felt susceptible to sin. And through my own sin and my own transgressions, I hurt the man that I loved deeply. I don't like crying, y'all. I'm sorry. I hurt him. I hurt my family. I hurt my daddy really bad. This church was shaken. It was disappointed. It was shocked. The ministry, the very ministry that I loved was shaken, shocked, and disappointed. And what once was something that I found so beautiful and I loved, I felt ashamed to even hear it. It took months for us to even come back to church. And when we did, I made sure that we waited until after the worship service was over because I felt so ashamed. I, I just, I, I was so ashamed. So through all of that, I felt that forevermore, I would be known as Bill and Kim's daughter or the preacher's daughter who had the affair, the home wrecker, the church wrecker, Joey's wife, you know, the one who dot, 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 fill, fill in the blanks. I felt that there was absolutely no way on this earth that God would ever use somebody like me, ever.
Why? Look what I did. And in a small town, it, when you screw up, you screw up big. And I screwed up big, and it was, you get it. So for the last five years, I spent my time, I was, I was consumed, consumed with making sure that number one, that man back there was healing. I could, I, I didn't, I, I will fix my crap later, but I want him to be better. I want him to heal. I want him to know that I do love him and I'm not going anywhere. I wanted our marriage back. I wanted my family to heal. I wanted our friends to heal. I, I exhausted myself on making sure that everyone else was, was good and, and um, trying to earn everyone's approval and earn everyone's affection. And I, I spent, I have literally spent the last five years out of my own guilt, out of my own shame, trying to earn forgiveness from people when they had already forgiven me. And it's not because of anything that they were saying or doing to me, it was because of how I was feeling inside. I could not get past the shame, the anger, anger in myself, anger for things that people said about me, some behind my back and some to my face, anger because just when I would get my head above water and think that we were all past it, I would just remind it, I would be reminded of it again. I couldn't catch a break. And I was like, you know what? For the rest of my days, I'm just, this is who I am. This is who I am. I will never have a purpose. I'm literally going to spend the rest of my life having to make up for what I did. And um, instead of falling on my face before God and trying to reconnect with him, I succumbed to what I thought I was what I thought I would forever be. I wanted everybody else to approve of me again and forgive me and let's just all get past it, but I did not realize exactly how empty I was. I, for five years I've been walking around with a smile on my face, but I literally was an empty shell. There cannot be fullness until there's emptiness. And that is exactly where I got, not where I got, but that's exactly where 2019 becomes so significant because I got a phone call in the beginning of January from Elsie Miles. We got this amazing pilot freedom class. You should do it. And I was like, heck to the no, I'm not doing that. I don't want to be in a class full of women digging up my stuff again been there, done that, like, got the t-shirt. I don't want to do it. I don't trust people. I just don't want to talk about it anymore. Done talking about it. I only did it because of her. I love you. Because she played a huge part in my life when things were really, really bad. Y'all, Hannah made a comment about the younger generations wanting the older generations to reach out to them. I will tell you this. In a time when I had no one, that generation picked me up. And I mean it, y'all. That's what Jenny is about, you know? I mean, 
You heard it from her mouth, and I am a living and breathing example. So I went to the freedom class, because of Elsie. And week two, week two, we have, it's a 12-week course, and if y'all have not taken it, I urge you to take it. If you've taken it, take it again. We have, we don't like to call it homework, but I was doing my homework. I'm just gonna call it homework, it was homework. And at three separate moments in my evening, uh, where you had to flip to a certain scripture and write it in your book or whatever, the first page I flipped to, something fell out of my Bible and I picked it up and it was the, it was the ultrasound photo from when there were no more amniotic bands from Braden, from the high-risk doctor in Pensacola. And I was like, wow. Kid you not, the second turn in my Bible, the second section I had to go to, completely different section in my Bible, a mustard seed that I had taped inside of my Bible after the pre-op appointment before my surgery. And next to it was a marriage pamphlet with these 3D glasses from a marriage seminar that Craig and Don Krempe had done years ago. And I don't hear, I don't have a lot of these like, I know God said that to me. I know it was him, I know it was him. I had, I had that moment that night because when I, when I put those three things together, I wept, y'all, I blubbered like a baby in my bed. I mean, it was like kick the covers off and you were in the fetal position crying. God told me, he said, just as I have healed and restored, made whole these things. If you will let me, I am ready to do that now. Look what I have done. I don't know, I don't know how, how big of a reminder you need other than this. I've literally pointed it out to you in your Bible with like actual things that you're holding in your hand. If you will let me, I will make whole what was so broken and damaged and make it all new again. My Uncle Tony talked about divine invitations last week. And um, Psalm 34, 8 is kind of God's invitation for all of us. It's the um, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is he who seeks refuge in him. And I, I accepted the invitation. That night, I chose. Okay, I get it, I hear you loud and clear at this point. I'm so sick of the exhaustion. I'm sick of the way I feel. I am sick. I'm just sick of all of it. You do what you want with it, Lord. 100%, it is all yours. I have no clue where you're going to take me. I don't know what it's going to look like. I literally have no clue what this ride that you're about to take me on is going to look like. But I know that when, let me tell you something, when you are at your bottom, when you are so desperate for forgiveness, when you are desperate to feel worthy again, when you are desperate just to feel anything in your heart, 
you will fall on your face. You don't want God to put you on it. But you have to do it 100%. And that night, it was 100% for me. Christy said it perfectly. She said, we, our job is not to know, it is to trust. And I'm not a trusting person and I do like control. It was so hard for me to give that man my notes because <laughs> I'm a control freak. <laughs> it's killing me not having them. But um, I had to make that choice. I had to accept that invitation. I had to turn it all over 100%. And through the course of those 12 weeks, it was peeling me back like an onion, layer by layer. But... In all of this, in all of this, I went back to the basics. I started reading my Bible, not out of duty, out of devotion, because I fell back in love with God. I fell back in love with him. If you think about it, in God's goodness, in his goodness, he sent his son to become the perfect and blameless sacrifice for all of us to be forgiven. I'm sorry, but if someone gave their life for you or for your child or for your grandchild, would you not want to spend the rest of your life honoring them? So why don't we live our lives every day honoring Christ that way? But you have to do it 100%. Something, something that has really... Um, kind of been in my face through all of this is when we, when we say, I want to be surrendered to you, I want to be, no, it, you don't get it. It's 100%, or it's none at all. Because how would you feel if God, if, if, if the roles were reversed? You desperately needed God to move in, in an area of your life, but he's like, I'm sorry, I'm not feeling that. I chose not to move in that area of your life, but I'll move in this area. No, 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 100%. It has to be 100%. Me and that man sitting back there, we are a result of full surrender and devotion to God. He has moved in mighty ways in our marriage. He has lit a fire in my husband that I never thought I'd ever see. And as we both grow closer to God, we grow closer together. Our marriage by statistics, should have been over. We were not supposed to last. And Lord knows I don't deserve that man. But I love him and he loves me. And we are a perfect example. We're a byproduct of God's goodness, his love, his mercy. Joby is a perfect example of God's grace. He's a beautiful example of it. Lord, the Lord knew what he was doing when he paired me up with him because God knows I am not the easiest to live with. My mom and dad will tell you. My brother will tell you. And I know they're laughing at me. I'm a hothead. I will argue. Thank God for Joey Beaujolais because that man has more, he has more patience and more grace than anyone I've ever met. But... Um, when I decided to make God 100% my love, my guide, my leader, my voice, 
2019, I started living. I get up here now because I find, I find him in every song, y'all. Worship is my love language to God, and that is, it's a love language that I speak every day. Tommy made a comment here recently that he doesn't like, you say you didn't like praying or reading your Bible, one or the other. I think it was reading, you didn't like reading your Bible all the time? Depends on the day. Depends on the day, yeah. And so he said that he would just get out his guitar and just start just singing. I literally, I, I have conversations with God. It's not this go in my prayer closet type thing, but I either sing my prayers or I, I turn on my worship music when I just don't feel like doing it. And it, I find him in songs. It's my love language. And what used to bring me so much guilt and shame is... I forget y'all are here on Sundays. No offense. Love y'all. Glad y'all are here. But I literally have several moments every Sunday if I'm up here that I forget y'all are here because I am now at a place where it's me and God because he is good. He's doing amazing things in this church. Y'all have been hearing it from everyone for the last several weeks of all ages, all generations, all different backgrounds. I encourage you to truly surrender 100%. I dare you and just see what happens. And if, so, if, it, if something doesn't go your way, the preacher's daughter made me do it, okay? I get it. <laughs> but we are the byproduct of how good God is. He wants us to be surrendered. He wants all of us. He went looking for Adam and Eve after they screwed up royally. He went looking for them. But you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. We, ha we have to do some of the work ourselves. I don't know if I have anything else. You have my notes, so I can't tell you. <laughs> I think I'm done. <laughs> Probably had so much more, but I no, you didn't. Honestly, have no clue. <laughs> no, you. You know what? I've, I haven't given speaking advice. But the one thing I've said is, people are going to connect with your heart. They're not going to remember most of what you say. And that's been the beauty of this: being able to hear the voice of God. You, you can hear the message. You can hear the wisdom and the intensity. And, and the, the love coming through Ed Lewis's voice. Like, I, I, I love him more than what he knows. I respect him more than what he knows. You, you felt the passion and the fire coming out of Elsie. You, 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 can, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him taste and see the goodness of the Lord. You know? The goodness of the Lord. I was going to ask you, like, if there was a theme for your life this year, what would it be? But it's goodness. It's pretty dang obvious. So I estimated, I did a little bit of math. And as a pastor's daughter who had to be in church sometimes Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, if there wasn't a special revival, I, I don't know exactly how old you are, but I know about how old you are. That's probably north of 2,000 sermons that you've heard. Was this the first one you've ever given? 
Aside from facilitating freedom last semester, which I had a curriculum to go off of, yeah, absolutely. This was the so first was time I first ever time. was like, here you go, just figure it out. With, it. with no notes, basically. With no notes. Yeah, most preachers never get there just so That you know. was a huge deal for me, because that made me highly uncomfortable. Well, it didn't make me uncomfortable. <laughs> I felt great the whole time. What was so, it like? What was it like to give that sermon? That's the first time I've ever held a microphone and talked about any of that publicly. Mm. And um, I don't even know, I don't even know who of my extended family knew. Mm -hmm. Now they do. <laughs> Surprise, right before Christmas. Well. But I'm, I'm at a place now where yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay with it. And if any of them have anything to say, just ask them to get up here and start telling all their stories. Yeah. Your so there's water. that. Um, but I, you know, I, it's not the church people that uh, are honest about the things they've done that annoy me. It's the ones that aren't, you know. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that turns most people off, you know. And there's, we don't always get up here and say everything, but confession is good for the soul. And so... Um, one of the, I, I wrote this down, and it's a little bit of a carryover from Ed's thing. We, we, we like all, we like the answers. We, we like to know, and I guess that's kind of what I was saying, what I was saying about how old, whatever. There, the Lord knows, exactly. We like the answers, and sometimes we like rules, but we don't always taste and see that the Lord is good for ourselves. And you can, it's easy to look at somebody else up here or something that somebody in the church has done or not done or some mistake that a person in the church has made. It's easy to point fingers and go, well, that's my excuse for staying home in my pajamas and being peed off at God. And oh, be careful doing that. Whatever, yeah. Instead of actually going, well, I actually have to follow the Lord for myself to taste and see for myself. Um, finish the sentence for me. One thing that I've had to unlearn about God is. Unlearn, like something I had always thought, but now I don't think about it. I'm not even sure that unlearn's a word, um, but I used to think this about God. And now this is, this is something I've just kind of learned about God's nature or something I, here's something I think a little bit differently about. Um, he's not, um, he's not, I've always known that he was a loving God and a gracious God, but to, but I always also had this, I never wanted to admit it, but I really did feel him as a very judgmental God. Um, if that makes any sense, just kind of like a little, a little harder on you, harder on me, like harder on us than, than we think. Um, I always thought he was way harder on us when in reality, he just wants to love on us. He wants nothing more than to take on our burdens and, and just hug us when we need a hug the most. Um, 
he wants to love us just as much as he loved his son that he sent for us. Um, and when we screw up, he just want he he just wants us to come back. He just wants us to come back and just say, "Look, I screwed up. I'm so sorry." And then it's like, "Okay, let's keep going." Then, for some reason, I guess, and I I don't think I really realized it until I started rediscovering who he was. It that's when I realized that I really did think that he was way more harsh and judgmental mm. than he actually is. So for a person who likes control, this has not been something that you could control. Like this journey, as you say, to emptiness. Uh, yeah. To surrender. Oh yeah, it was, um, it was, it was something that, I mean, what I did that landed me there, yeah, that was something I could have controlled. But yeah, that wasn't what I was talking about. Yeah. You got a bonus then. Um, <laughs> I didn't hear what you said. I said, well, then you got a bonus. <laughs> oh. A bonus response. Um, yeah, no, no, it's um, the whole surrendering thing is, uh, I kind of, the cho you have to make the choice, but then where it takes you from there, if you truly want to be surrendered, you literally have to re remove any hands of control off of it. See, because it's terrifying. Okay. Okay. It's terrifying. Will you do me the favor of just talking about that? And, and even beyond terrifying, because there's the thing on the other side of control. What, what is, because the people who seem to be most free to me are the people who have suffered the most. It, we're in church, so they're like, it's, it, how do I say it properly in church? It, it's just like they've had, they've had it so beat out of them. Mm -hmm. Whether it's something they did or something that happened to them. Yeah. They, it's something on the other side of that thing. There's like, there's this liberty that's just kind of like, what else are you going to do to me? Is that, is that real or am I, am I just speculating? Yeah, so um, I can take you through a couple events that happened this year where we literally had no control over it. And looking back at it, the way it all planned, like the way it all ended was like, <laughs> now I see what you were doing. Um, Brayden got sick in March. Um, his appendix ruptured, but they called it a radical rupture. Um, it had ruptured. They thought it was just inflamed, but before they could even get us to Pensacola and get in there to do surgery, in between that like 12-hour time span, it had ruptured and made him... It, your appendix is a disgusting thing, and it just was releasing all that crap in there. They called it a radical rupture because of all the stuff that was, um, so the surgeon cleaned him up, removed the appendix, cleaned him up as best as he could, but we had to be in the hospital in Pensacola for seven days, heavy antibiotics. Um, three days after we were discharged, and this entire process was, there's, y'all, it, it sucked for y'all are, most of y'all are parents or grandparents. It sucks when our babies are sick, but when you can't do anything for them, it's awful. And 
he had, um, he started having breathing issues. Um, there was just a lot of weird stuff that went on during that seven day that I, I was just like, we have no control over this at this point. The doctors don't have control over it. We don't. And it was, that was one of those things that I had to, like when I want to be mama bear and I want everyone to do what I tell them because suddenly I'm a doctor and like, you're going to do this. I don't know what it's going to do, but you're going to do it because I'm his mama and I said so. Um, and then three days after being discharged, he's septic and we're readmitted for another week. And again, you have no control over that. Um, that was a hard thing for me. And then a month later, I, well, back up, I'm so sorry. The week before this appendix thing happened, we, we had one debt, it was our truck. We paid off our truck, okay? There's a reason I'm telling you that. So we paid off the only debt other than our mortgage that we had. A week later, Braden's appendix, glorious, boom, whatever. Um, because of Braden's uh, hospital, two-week hospital stay, um, we met our family out-of-pocket and deductible, which meant our health, our health benefits have been 100% this whole year. That's great, because a month after that, I quit my job. <laughs> after being a senior paralegal at a law firm for 10 years, um, it was something that I had to, I wrestled with this one, because I loved my job and I was good at it, but it, was taking so much joy from me, and I knew that that was the one area that I found out I wasn't giving, giving God. And when I did, I knew, okay, if I'm going to give it to him, I got to go. I quit my job. Joey got a raise a month after I quit my job. Looking back, there was debt, then there was no debt because then there was an illness, which then helped our health benefits. And then there was no income, but there was an increase in an income. It literally, and all of that, trust me, I fought tooth and nail, because I was like, I want to control all of this. And for me to back my hands off of literally all of it, that was probably, that was, that was a hard few months. But looking back at it now, it's just like I see what the plan was. I want to, is there, I know we're bumping up against the hour here, is there anybody out there that just wanted to, to ask Kristen a question? I want to make sure we get that in. Anybody that wanted to ask her a question or say, this is something you said that really spoke to me? Yeah, backing off of the control. Yeah. Who else? Yeah, we heard him. I got him. Yeah, just that. You said just backing off of the control. Yeah. Uh, when you were uh, backing off all the, uh, of the control, were you allowing faith to do more of the work and so you could relax and let results happen yeah. without having that worry of yeah. trying to control everything? I'm an anxious person in nature, so I don't relax very well, but overall, yes. Um, it, I see someone rolling his eyes at me. <laughs> it, um, 
it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to do that at first. But once you do, it's almost like when God almost has to prove himself to you in that moment, you find it a little easier every time you have to. Am I still fluent at it? Absolutely not. There are still many things that I like to control. Um, I'm a work in progress. Yeah. But um, that's, that's what part of having an intimate relationship with Christ is, is having faith that he is going to take you through things that you, you have no clue how you're going to get through. And I promise you he'll, he'll do it. Thank you. Anything else? Any other thoughts or comments before we wrap up tonight? This has been uh, this has been a great night, and um, you you know each night it's like you have Brandon Kirsten, you know tattoos in twenty six, and then you have you know my my adopted grandmother in the faith who stands up here at eighty six and just brings the word, Quinshear. Um, and then tonight you have Ed and you have you. I, I love the diversity of the body of Christ. I love the message that has come to us uh, through your life and, and through so many others. And um, I, I feel like there's, and I, I, don't, I can't get away with it, I feel like there's somebody here tonight that you, you, you look at the whole religion thing just with a little bit of skepticism. And I felt that from the, I just, I wanna say wherever you sit out there tonight, there's room for you. You don't have to have all the answers. And uh, as Kristen has said, it, you, it, like either we're all crazy, either Ed Lewis is crazy and you're crazy, oh, and all these people who are talking to a God they can't see is crazy and claiming to hear something from the Lord. Either all of us are crazy or maybe there's something on the other side of not having to have all of the answers and just moving a little bit into that space to where you go. I don't have all the answers, but I'm open, you know, and I'm so. I'm 100% yeah. fine with being crazy at this point. Yeah. Like, I. Well, yeah, you believe in a virgin birth, you're crazy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, so, but this has been, this has been such an experiment, such a gift. And as we land the plane on this, um, maybe I could just pray for us as we go. And wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever cares you brought into this place, we don't ask you to leave them at the door or get them out of your mind, but we just offer them to the Lord tonight. So let's do that together. God, thank you for the voices of Generations United. Thank you for a church of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Thank you for a church where we don't have to agree on all of the particulars in order to experience the most general, universal, and true thing that any thinking person could agree with, and that is there must be love at the base of all of this. And this time of year, we just say, God, as we celebrate the birth of your son, who knows if he was even born in December? Probably not. And yet in this moment, we say there was a son given for us and a father's love for us. Thank you that you spoke through that word wrapped in flesh, the voice that we all needed to hear that says to us, you're not alone, Emmanuel. God is with you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you.